Okay, good morning. Welcome to Web3 Wednesdays, where we chat through some of the complex and nuanced topics in crypto and Web3 at large so that you can stay ahead of the curve. So today I'm joined by Meet Gulkin of DeFi Vader, one of the most prolific writers in the Web3 gaming space who frequently shares theoretical and practical examinations of the current gaming landscape. Web3 gaming has been through a tumultuous recent past with numerous high-profile games suffering severe market downturns as a consequence of both economic design and macro conditions. Meet sits right in the nexus of that information maelstrom and we are keen to hear his take on how the economic structure of the space going forward may continue to evolve. So, Meet, welcome to the show. Thanks, Sam. Um, and, and I got to say, I'm, I'm, uh, I really like your content that you put both on Medium and YouTube. So it's, it's a pleasure to be uh, on the podcast today. Oh, that's very kind. Thanks a bunch, Meet. Um, well, look, we're, we're, we're fans of you guys over at DeFi Vader. And I think, you know, for the audience here, just to explain real quick, what all do you do uh, on the DeFi Vader side? Sure. So, um, so like we rebranded re to Vader Research. My my um, Twitter name is still DeFi Vader, but so what we do is we are a economy and token design consultancy. We help game web three game economies and web three game protocols with um, designing sustainable economies. Um, so the services we offer both is like a, a design service where we uh, try to answer questions such as should I have one token or two token? What should be the utility of my NFTs? Um, how should the, the token equity entity value accrual be decided on, etc.? But also we, we provide an audit service where we um, basically um, model out uh, the, the economy, create a report and, and give you a sustainability score. Very cool. Yeah. And these are these are the kinds of services I see, you know, popping up left and right as, you know, Web3 Gaming continues to kind of march towards this more institutionalized, disciplined approach uh, where folks become more and more interested in making sure that there's a robust business plan behind it. Uh, and, you know, so kind of in that respect, speaking very broadly, uh, what are some of the models that you're seeing recently kind of come to the fore? What's getting to be more popular nowadays in Web3 Gaming development? Sure. Um, so from an economic perspective, you know, I, I see like three main models that can that can work that I'm seeing and I think are going to be working in the future. Um, number one is the traditional, you know, model like uh, similar to free to play, where majority of the inflows are coming from whales themselves. And compared to free to play now in Web3, because as a game developer, you can reward some players. Um, some percentage of those rewards are going to players to incentivize them and to you know incentivize the growth of the whole game economy and platform, right? Another model that I'm seeing is more like um, a, a a type of like a zero sum wagering model, and I know you you also wrote about this, you know, with the gladiator analogy, um, is where like, you know, you pay ten dollars, I pay ten dollars, and the winner gets say fifteen, or the winner gets nineteen, and the game developer, the ecosystem gets a cut, um, and and the loser might get something or not get something, and. I'm, I'm, we're like increasingly seeing a more sophisticated version of this, so more like engineered version rather than making it a one game, you know, wager. It's more like a seasonal wager or a monthly wager, and the wager can be paid in, you know, an NFT and tokens and in different varieties. And as you make this more complex, you know, as the player who is actually buying, say, that NFT, which has an implied this like wager pass. Um, you don't even realize that that is the utility. Like you don't even realize that. Wait, this has a limited utility, and if I don't, you know, if I don't win, uh, maybe fifty-five percent of the time, I'm actually losing money. You know, the the complexity, sophistication of that engineering is what makes the player 
not even try to calculate that, right? Or irrationally think that I actually have a better chance than what I can win, which I think um, takes a lot of futures from the, the casino or social casino industries as well, where, you know, you, you might go to a casino uh, to win and you might, like, let's say you're, you're going to play um, poker, or, which is relatively a skill-based game compared to other, like, uh, you know, completely chance-based games. Um, and you might think that your, you know, win percentage is, say, 40%, 45%. Um, but in reality, maybe... It's actually like 30%, like based on your previous data, etc. So, so that is another model. And I think the third model, which is becoming increasingly, um, which has been taught and talked about, but not applied yet, is this like battle pass model where, you know, battle passes are already uh, very popular in free-to-play games. And in a great example is Fortnite, where, you know, you buy a monthly battle pass. I think you pay like $10, $20. And with this battle pass, you're able to generate new content, new you know, skins, items, etc. And I think like what can be interesting for Web3 is that I think if if you know what I've been seeing from some of the companies that I've been working with, um, once you have the financial rewards for some players, the non-financial rewards of you know XP and off-chain items may not be uh, satisfying anymore. Right. So so their their behavior is psychologically evolving. They also they see that, you know, they, for example, I'm a player and I see that Sam is earning, you know, these tokens or these NFTs, but I'm just earning these off chain rewards like I might just be jealous and not satisfied, not because, you know, I, I am I am there for just money. I'm there for the, the whole experience. But I, I'm not satisfied by the off-chain, you know, non-monetary rewards anymore. So the idea with Battle Pass is a bit like a gym membership, actually. You know, you pay $20, and based on your um, performance, not only like skill-based performance, but also, you know, based on how many quests you complete, you might earn in a month, you know, $21. So you might earn more than what you pay. But the majority of the players will actually earn like $5 or $10. But because every time they earn, they get the satisfaction of, you know, earning a monetary item, um, it might like impact, it, they, they, they won't, you know, calculate the net um, cost benefit, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think that makes a ton of sense. And it's actually an interesting parallel, uh, you know, to some of the big MMOs that charge subscription-based fees, uh, you know, whereby you can actually pay some of those subscription fees in-game with in-game currency, like World of Warcraft with the WoW token, uh, old-school RuneScape with the ORS bonds. It's it's an interesting idea where, you know, people who are playing the game can actively earn something that does have a reflected real-life value. And it I, I it's, it's going to be interesting to see exactly how player personalities and psychology does react to something like that when it is so fungible because even in those web two examples i just gave it's not particularly very easy for you to go to a black market and resell your wow token or your srs bond for real cash right it's not super fungible but in a web three capacity everything is so fungible that you know you you, you certainly could go do that um, and I think, you know, as we kind of discuss these new world models, uh, if we look back, you know, not too long ago, but let's say over the past year or two, some of these really, really big games, some of these high flyers, do you see any of them starting to adjust their models as, you know, perhaps their economies have come under a lot of strain? Do you see them start to, you know, maybe adjust and rethink and maybe even cut out large pieces of their old business plans as they try to reincorporate this kind of new uh, forward thinking Web3 approach? Sure. So the names that come to my mind you know, are like Axie, 
um, maybe like Heaton Arena, the, the names that have been pretty successful in the last one, one and a half years. Um, like, I think it's, it's, it is possible, but it's very difficult for them to adjust to a new economy just because they have this legacy, almost like liability. You know, every time you issue an NFT, um, so, someone is buying the NFT and this happened with Axie, you know, Axie was promoting their, their, they, they prioritized growth so heavily that they were promoting the game as if, you know, it's the, it's the, it's like the eighth, uh, eighth ancient wonder, you know, and this, this resulted in this expectation for the NFT buyers that, you know, they have to get some returns for buying those NFTs because Axie is going to become this enormous, you know, metaverse in the future. So that has created um, some sort of toxicity within the community and uh, I can't blame them just because you know they were they they had expectations which weren't met and then the, and you know you had the landowners and you had the NFT owners then you have the scholars and you had these like um, different alignments of interest where everyone um, is is looking to get as much as possible um, and 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 the, the the amount of like people out of the whole community who, who thinks about the long-term viability of the whole ecosystem is 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 much like slower you know um, so you know I, I do see that Axie is changing their model and a lot of these games are like readjusting their economies but I do think it's going to be challenging just because of this legacy uh, legacy assets and and that is why I think every game should be very careful on like when they're launching a token and whether they're doing like pre-sale nfts or not and and who they're selling and especially what the utility of those nfts are right like you had a really good article about um you know what what the value of the nfts are right like you know as a, as an ecosystem there there is a value created and that value accrues to tokens nfts and the equity entity for those that already raised capital for equity right what percentage goes to an nft and what is the utility what is like the intrinsic valuation of the nft you know if the game becomes so so successful is there a cap is there is there a range etc so i think um you know games have to carefully assess this and also the the players who are buying this should assess it i love that framing too particularly with respect to um you know almost promises made to both players and investors and when you perform these pre-sales like you just said i mean you are effectively you you have an obligation to deliver on that nft or that token that there will be a utility so um you know something that i've i've kind of started to like to see is uh when games rely a lot less on these massive pre-sales and they frankly wait until there is actually a utility or actual gameplay for it what kind of trends do you see around that do you see games you know more and more they they are starting to wait until they have actual gameplay or are they still you know kind of going along what i would call the more kickstarter type route where you you know you sell your nfts maybe two or three four years even before you might have gameplay yeah that's a great question so i think the more sophisticated game developers are actually waiting for the for the right timing you know they don't want to launch two years before the game is live um so that they don't need to continuously you know engage the engage and entertain the nft owners um, I think also, you know, free to own this new concept, um, enhanced by Gabriel Ladon, who is like X game of four X machine zone. Um, I think that's also an interesting concept where, you know, um, close to the, close to the launch of the game, you give away the NFTs for free, especially those who have been prominent supporters. Um, you know, I think Azra games also did something similar. Um, but you know, um, 
I think that makes sense. I I mean, I would even I would even um, advocate for launching the NFTs or these tokens even later, so that you have some data set from players and from from all different participants, and you reward them with these monetary assets based on um, like without even them knowing that they're gonna receive a reward. Like you're really surprising them, so that you disincentivize um, the ones that try to game and abuse the whole rewarding system. Yeah, I, I like that too for, for one kind of uh, related reason, which is one of my favorite monetization methods that I think is going to be super strong across Web3 Gaming uh, is that instead of you know direct sales, which is kind of how Web2 Gaming operated, right? Cosmetic to consumer over and over. Uh, I, I think that monetization in Web3 is going to revolve a lot more around, obviously, monetizing secondary sales. Uh, so, you know, royalties from the publisher, when people trade an NFT between the two, the publisher takes 4% or something like that. And so in that context, handing out free NFTs starts to make a lot of sense, right? Like you just want to incentivize as much economic volume as you possibly can. And you're not necessarily looking to charge people up front. You actually want people to build value into the items themselves, then transact with each other. And then you, as the players grow and they appreciate the items more, you get more revenue off that economic volume. So that's a, you know, that's a model that kind of fits hand in hand, I think, with the, the way that you just described it, uh, that I'm, I'm pretty excited to see. Um, and, you know, kind of, you know, talking about these ideas of, of free things, uh, 2021 was not free. Uh, a lot of items were very expensive. That led to the rise of scholars, scholars, guilds, play to earn, that whole loop. Um, this is obviously a large part of the Web3 gaming zeitgeist at, the, at this point. So, you know, from your perspective and from some of the, you know, the companies that you're working with, how are games going about thinking about this trend, right? Do they see scholars and guilds as something that persists? Uh, and how are they, you know, kind of working around that theme to either integrate it into their games or to expressly avoid integrating that into their games at all? Sure, sure. Great question. Um, so out of the games I've spoken, some of them are completely against scholars and guilds. Um, some of them are open to scholars and guilds, and the majority of them are not sure what to do. Like they, they didn't know what what strategy they should have. So my my thoughts there is like, you know, in free to play, um, the players are you know voluntary players, right? They are there for the experience. They are willing to spend their time and money in exchange for experiences which are basically emotions and emotions are driven by you know irrational behavior right so so we can say that like free-to-play players are relatively more irrational or they're happy being irrational um to to the activities i think um the 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 challenge with like scholars and 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 guilds or they don't want to say guilds more like, more like speculators speculative capital um is that like you know in, again in free-to-play um, there are these like voluntary players because when you play, you don't get any financial benefits or returns. When you know when you grind and you kill a beast, you earn these items or in-game currencies that are not worth nothing outside of the world. Um, but but in open-looped economies like Web3 games, every time you grind, you might earn some item. NFT or you know in-game currency, a token that might be worth something in you know real value outside of the game, right? And this this attracts a lot of farmers or like scholars, obviously, just because you know there might be people out there who they might love gaming, you know, they might be gamers, but just because of their economic situations, like you know Maslow's like hierarchical you know pyramid, um, they might need to 
um, cash out those items and you know buy food buy medicine pay their bills instead of reinvesting back into the game and and getting even better right um and i think once you introduce these types of players into a game and again this can be through scholars but the bots also you know do the same functionality more or less once you have these type of players in a game um again like there's some value created within the game and that value is mainly created by players who are voluntarily playing. They're either spending or their time and eyeballs are being monetized through sponsors. That value, a good percentage of that value now, uh, slowly goes to the you know the, the farmer uh, persona because they just want to, yes, they do want to play the game, but they also want to take something from the economy, right? So this is on the on the farmer or like scholar persona. But on the speculator persona as well, um, I think there the argument is, you know, in, in Web3 games, you have NFTs or assets that are resource producing, meaning like by using that asset, by, you know, taking that asset and putting in some time and some skill, you can um, create new resources like, you know, Axie, you, you, you buy an NFT, Axie NFT, you can generate SLP or in some games like crypto unicorns, if you have a land, you can generate new, new, you know, utility tokens. Um, in, in, in here, the problem is if those assets are limited in supply, um, and they're strategic and they're necessary for you to play the game and they're producing new resources, new financial, you know, monetary resources like NFTs and tokens. Uh, the problem is that like the, the people who buy those assets can passively generate a lot of earnings and, and benefit from the future success of the economy without adding any value actively. And they basically become this like oligopoly. You know, it's, it's like, imagine that Apple store sold their top hundred slots to some speculators and now those speculators don't need to do anything you know they they made the investment years ago and they're just now collecting rent uh, whereas that actually those earnings should have gone to you know either apple or should have gone to the the um the the the, the apps who are would be bidding, you know, much less advertising, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, I, I, I like the way that you started to go with that too there at the end because you started around, you know, axes, which in the Web3 gaming community, you know, we, we see those as uh, individual assets, right? But where you kind of ended at the end, which I think is a really interesting topic, is almost on the idea of something that approximates land. You know, this idea of like there are only 100 spots, uh, you have one of them, you are essentially squatting on it, you are taking some form of income from it. Um, the idea of land within Web3 gaming, I've written about this before, and I think that there's a lot of complexity in a lot of different directions. The idea of whether or not you should have finite land, infinite land, whether your land should be you know, resource producing, um, I, I think these are all very complex questions. Where I like to shake out and think around this is on the idea of land taxes. Um, and I think that land taxes uh, implemented in the real world have a, a number of complexities at hand, uh, not you know, the least of which in as much that you know, the people who actually would be putting the taxes into place mostly own the land in the first place. There's not a lot of incentive to do so. But in a game design format, you know, have you seen anyone exploring the idea of using land taxes to effectively disincentivize people from squatting on these assets without actually being productive? You know, so that you would actually have to produce using them in order to either offset the land tax or reduce the land tax, uh, you know, to kind of force productivity. Yeah. Um, I have seen, I have seen one instance, but it doesn't solve the actual problem of, of the speculators benefiting because 
even if you have a land tax, as long as you can rent that land as a landowner to someone who can manage that land, and you're still earning something, um, so you don't you don't disincentivize speculative activity. Um, I think one measure I've seen that looks successful is it's a bit more like communistic um, policy, but is where like you have a limited amount, limited time to use that land, right? And um, when I say land, people might think about like decentralized and sandbox lands. But even if you think about some of these like strategic assets, um, either like you have a specific uh, amount of time. So that is like a finite asset, right? At the end of certain period, you're going to lose access to that. This can be a number of days. This can be, you know, number of activities, whatever that activity is with land. And if, if there's some skill element involved, so just because you own a land doesn't mean that you're going to be able to produce you know, X amount of, I don't know, berries over the next 30 days, you, there, there's either going to be some randomness or there's there's also going to be some, you know, skill-based element. Um, I, I think those are the ones that, that could be interesting and uh, minimize the speculative activity. Yeah, I like that. So, so time-based land effectively where you, you know, you produce it and then there is either inherent randomness or skill included. It's an interesting take. And I, I think, you know, let's even uh, let's zoom out to just the market as we see it today. Um, you know, are there any games that you're looking at in particular that you think like, wow, this is a really neat economic structure. Like I think other people could probably learn from it. Are there any that come to mind? Sure. Um, so, so far, you know, I've looked into a lot of games. I think one that is very interesting is Splinterlands, and it's been up there for a while. It's been a live game for a while. Um, one reason I like it is because I I, um, I want to see economies where there are like normal, you know, traditional players who are playing voluntarily and players who are playing for the reward. Because you know, if if we have a game that can sustain both personas, then like we see that there is a big potential for web three games, right? Because this is something that we haven't we don't have yet. Um, and Splinterlands has a really interesting economy where like um, everything is really well thought and the game has been live for a while. Um, the economy is you know, not the not the most sustainable, but it's still relatively sustainable, and it definitely um, could be improved. Um, and oh yeah, I, I forgot you, you actually talked with them, right? You had an episode with them. Yeah, yeah, we've had Splinterlands on. We uh, over at the Capital Dow, we we do some work with them too. Awesome, awesome. Yeah, I mean, they have a very interesting model where like um, they they balanced the pay to win elements with with the play to earn elements. So like. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely advise people to look at Splinterlands. Nice. Okay. Yeah. So these are these are always fun tidbits for the audience because then they actually know where to go look. Uh, you know, from the experts. I love it. Me. This is uh, this has been a ton of fun. And so I want to ask you one more question here before you go. Um, you know, so because you get to see so many projects, you get to see so many different games that come through. Uh, for folks who are starting right now, right, who are just setting out on their Web three builders journey, they're trying to learn how to build something. Do you have any advice for those people? You know, as they're just starting out. Sure. Um, like for for the for the builders, you know, it's obviously it's difficult because they have to con they like there's a lot to learn for them. I'll say for for more like analysts, investors, research people, I would say you know consume the content that is out there and try to get your hands dirty and build a model and write reports. Um, but for for builders, yeah, I would. I mean, I I would advise on. 
I'd always advise on going very deep on one specific project, understand the community, the economy, their marketing strategy, uh, and so that you can see what are the exact problems um, the, 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 the projects are having. But now that I'm thinking, this is actually not a very um, useful advice for, like, for example, if, if there's a founder like, or an entrepreneur who wants to build an infra project, in WebTree, maybe WebTree Gaming, maybe DeFi, you know, this advice might, might not apply. I'd say like try to network as much as possible and try to consume a lot of content. I think the advantage is that we're like so early that, you know, there's no, um, there's no university, there's no playbook for what's going on. And we are creating um, the playbook, we are creating the rule set as we move forward, which is like very exciting. Uh, it, there's a lot of risk involved, but there's, it's also very rewarding, especially very satisfying. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'd, I'd advise people to just, you know, try to consume as much as content as possible. And this is that. definitely a great place uh, to, to start. Oh, thanks, me. No, I love that. Yeah, so start by, you know, really, really dissecting a project, understanding the nitty gritty, and then just networking and consuming as much as you can, because you're totally right. We are writing the rule book as we speak right now, which is super exciting. Um, Meet, thanks a ton for coming on. This has been a ton of fun. We'll definitely have you back on again. Folks, if you have not already checked out Vader Research, please go do. Meet's doing a lot of good work over there. Uh, we'll see you around next time. See you, Meet. Thanks, man.